Tonight, God's Word comes to us from the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be reading the first 12 verses of this chapter, focusing tonight on verses 10 through 12. First Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, what we hear now is God's Word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was yours, that was yours, that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Well, this evening we come to the close of the introduction to this letter. Really the first uh, verses here, verses 1 through 12, serve as the intro to what Peter wants to teach them and tell them. We've seen that this is a letter written to give encouragement to the churches. Encouragement in spite of the fact that they are in the dispersion. In spite of the fact that they are exiles. He reminds them they are the elect exiles. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, for sanctification by the Spirit, and for obedience to Jesus Christ. He reminds them 
They are those who have been saved. That is the encouragement He wants to bring to them by reminding them of the glory of this wonderful salvation to give them hope in spite of the fact they are exiles, in spite of the fact they are dispersed. They belong to God. They have this hope, this inheritance, which is sure and certain for them, a living hope, a living hope based on the resurrection of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now tonight, as he, as he draws to a close this introductory section, he's going to remind them of the greatness of that salvation which they have. He's going to speak about the great messengers of salvation, the great message of salvation, and also, also the great mystery in salvation. And so we look at this letter tonight as those who perhaps now are, are being grieved with various trials to get encouragement. He has reminded us to get a bigger picture, a bigger point of view, to see that, that even the trials in this life are temporary. They are fading compared to the glory that is coming for all those who are in Christ Jesus. He begins in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. He reminds them that the announcement and the, those who announced this great salvation were already back in the Old Testament. We talked this morning about some things related to the Old Testament. There's great value in the Old Testament. The prophecies there that would speak of Jesus Christ. And, and he tells them, the prophets, even as they gave their message, it was not just for those at that time. This was a message that was yours. It was a message for you. The prophets, in, in, in many ways, spoke beyond their own time and spoke beyond those who were in their own circle of influence. They spoke their words given to them by God for the church in Peter's time, for the church in our time. Throughout the Old Testament, God has revealed the gospel through, through many wonderful messengers, through many pictures given to us there. We think, we think of God coming to Abraham, and God comes to Abraham and makes a covenant with him and says, I will be your God and you will be my people and your descendants will be as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. And that certainly was a blessing for Abraham's descendants. That certainly was a blessing for Israel. That's a blessing for us as well. We who by God's grace have been brought into that glorious people, we have been included in God's covenant mercies. He says, I will be a God to you. I will be your God, watching over you, caring for you, a God to you and to your children after you. In the promises made to Abraham, those promises overflow down the centuries to us throughout the Old Testament, these glorious messengers given. We think, we think of Moses, the one who would deliver Israel out of captivity. The one who would be used by God 
to take them out of their slavery in Egypt. They had been slaves for some 400 years, and God raises up Moses to lead them out. And that was certainly a blessing for the people of Israel. But it is a blessing for us as well. As we look at that picture of, of God's appointed leading his people out of captivity, it is a picture that points to Christ and what he has done, not just for Israel, but for us. Now, to be sure, we were not captives to any nation here on earth. We had a greater captivity, a captivity to sin, a slavery to the ways of Satan. And Jesus Christ comes, and he leads us out. He delivers us by his power. Moses picturing that already in the Old Testament, but a picture of Jesus Christ for us in the New Testament. We think of Joshua, Joshua who, who would bring them into the promised land, fulfilling the promises God had made to his people. Now, certainly that was a blessing for Israel, but it is a blessing for us as well. Many, I guess six years ago or so, we did a, seri sermon, a ser series of sermons on the book of Joshua, and we saw how many ways Joshua pointed to the work of Jesus Christ. His name itself, meaning God saves. His name shared with our Savior Jesus Christ. They called him Joshua, God saves. It was a blessing for Israel, but a blessing for us as well to be brought in to the promised land, into God's covenant people as part of that wonderful community. Throughout the Old Testament, the many messengers of the gospel we think of David and the kingship. David, who would be a, a, a good ruler over God's people, a blessing for Israel. But the picture, the picture of blessing for us, of the greater David's son, of Jesus Christ himself, who rules not over a little sliver of land in the ancient Middle, Middle East, but who rules over all creation and who by his power protects us and leads us and guards us and guides us. These great messengers from the past pointing to Christ, who he is and what he would do for us, his people. And we think even of the, uh, of the last of the old covenant prophets, the last of the old covenant prophets, John, who comes and says, behold, looking at Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Using that old covenant language, Lamb of God applied to Jesus Christ who takes away the sins of all of his people. These wonderful messengers concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. The Spirit of Christ already in the Old Testament. The Spirit of Christ already in the work of the prophets. It is true that, that the New Testament is, is very clear and very accessible and points us immediately to Christ, but there is a richness and there is a depth by studying the Old Testament 
and seeing the gospel declared there. The gospel is not a New Testament phenomenon. The gospel was declared throughout the Old Testament by great and powerful messengers in whom was the Spirit of Christ. Tonight we read Psalm 22. I asked you kids to listen for references to Jesus Christ. The very first verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus took those words on his own lips. The part about uh, uh, casting lots for his garments, reference to Christ. Uh, Piercing his hands and feet, reference to Christ. Why does, that, why does that psalm so fit so perfectly as to what happened in Christ's crucifixion? Because it was the Spirit of Christ Himself that was speaking in the Old Testament. It was the Spirit of Christ Himself speaking through David. This is why it fits so perfectly. It's not just an accident. It is Christ's Spirit speaking already through the Old Testament messengers, the Messianic Psalms that talk about the Messiah to come. And they're so perfectly fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ because these great messengers came from God, the Spirit of Christ in them, indicating what what He predicted regarding the Christ. And, And what was that message then? Inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the subsequent glories. What was the message that these prophets, these messengers brought? The suffering of Christ and subsequent glory. The message was about Christ's suffering. Christ's suffering as he came here to earth. Christ's suffering as He would leave what had been for all eternity perfect intertrinitarian fellowship with the Father and the Spirit, He would leave that and come down to earth. And He would live among fallen men and women. He would be rejected by the crowds. He would be rejected by the rulers and the people. He would be rejected by His closest friends. And he would finally be crucified. The most painful means of death that they knew. Jesus Christ and his sufferings. That was the message that was brought. And remember, he's he's writing to encourage a church in times of trial. And part of that encouragement is Christ suffered as well. Christ knows what it is like. Christ knows your hurts and your pains and your fears and your anxieties. He himself suffered. Our our trials are not unknown to God, but they are known intimately by him through the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And when we begin to say, you know, why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this trial? We set our eyes on Christ, who also went through trial, went through various tragedies, who also knows loss, he knows rejection. And we say, are are we above our Master? 
Are we above the one who we're called to follow? No, it should not surprise us when these trials, when these tragedies come upon us. And, and again, he, he wants us to get that bigger perspective in comparison to the trials of Jesus Christ and what he experienced, our own trials pale in comparison. Again, it, it, it's, we talked about this last time. It's so easy when we're going through a difficulty to have it, have it engulf all of our thinking and our life becomes about the trial. But he wants us to get a bigger perspective. These things are for a time a time in light of all eternity, and they are, they are temporary. They are small in comparison to the suffering of Jesus Christ. That was the message. Christ and his suffering and the subsequent glories. The message is Christ and his suffering and the sub subsequent glories. Glory. After suffering, then glory. And that was Christ's experience too. Yes, he would be crucified, put in the grave, but he would be raised from the dead. He would have life again. He would ascend into heaven, returning to his father's home, sitting at his father's right hand, where even now he rules and reigns over all things. After suffering, then glory. And that's the word of encouragement. The word given to the exiles, the word given to us. After suffering, then glory. Yes, in this life we may have trials, various trials of various kinds, but this life is not all that there is. Even if we suffer our entire life after suffering, then glory. The suffering of this life gives way to the glories of eternity, to the glories of spending forever that which is beyond our comprehension, forever with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are following Him. When we go through trials and difficulties, we are following him. But his life was first suffering, then glory. We will follow that as well. That's his word of encouragement to the church. Yes, you may be going through trials, through hard times, through difficulties, but after suffering, then glory. Don't miss the order. It's not that everything's great as soon as we become a Christian. No, there are difficulties. There are hardships. Real, real hardships. Heart-wrenching things. But just like Christ, after suffering comes the glory. He says in verse 12, It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This was the great mystery. The prophets, the prophets were speaking hundreds of years in the future. The prophets, I'm sure at times themselves, 
didn't understand the message they were bringing. They, 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 they couldn't imagine how this is all going to work out. But they were serving not their own community. They were serving the church, the church in Peter's day, the church in our day. Not fully understanding the word they were called to, to, to bring. They were speaking more than they knew. The reality was greater than they could imagine. Today, we know more than the prophets did. Because we live on this side of Jesus Christ. They would speak of one to come. They would speak of who he was and what he would do. But, 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 but for them, it was, still, it was still visionary. It was still prophetic. We look back and know the reality. The reality of who Jesus Christ was, what he did for us, his people. They saw the shadow. We see that which is real. Children, you know more than the prophets when you know Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. Not only that, he says, these are things into which angels long to look. We don't know much about angels. We don't know exactly when they were created. We don't know exactly how they interacted with God in this whole beginning of time. But it certainly is reasonable to say that the angels knew about creation. They knew about what God had done and knew about the fall knew about man falling into sin, and, 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 and very likely knew there was a promise of a Redeemer, one who would come and save this fallen people, but they didn't know how. Angels would long to look into the outworkings of salvation. How can it be? How can it be that the God who they serve, holy and righteous and just, could have anything to do with a fallen, sinful mankind? How in the world will that be possible? Angels would long to look and understand this great mystery, the mystery of Jesus Christ, the mediator. Angels, angels could never have imagined the way that God would reconcile fallen man to his holiness would be through his own Son, who would be God and truly man. They could never have imagined. They would long to, to look into that, that type of mystery. We live on this side of Christ. Even on this side of Christ, the angels as much as they would give praise and glory to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they still don't experientially understand who Jesus is. Angels don't know what redemption from their sin is. We know our sin. We're, we know we're fallen. We know, we know the grace of God, the fact that he did send Jesus Christ to give us new life in him. We know the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Angels don't know that. 
Children, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you know more than angels because you know experientially in your life what Christ has done for you. Angels would long to look, they would long to understand, but they never will because they don't know what it is to be fallen and then redeemed by God's own Son. We know these truths because God has graciously had this announced to us, preached to us, the good news given to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the greatness of our salvation. Something the prophets spoke about but couldn't fully understand. Something even the angels longed to look into. But we who live on this side of Christ know the reality. We know more than the prophets. We know more than the angels because we know Jesus Christ. Do you know him? The one who was spoken of by the prophets. The one who did come and accomplish the work of salvation, this great and glorious salvation. Do you know him? As your Lord, as your Savior, have you trusted him? And doing so, do you recognize he continues to work in you? And that's what Peter's going to begin to flesh out in the rest of this letter. The results of this glorious salvation. But it begins with, with recognizing the greatness of our salvation in Jesus Christ. That God announced him throughout the Old Testament. God fulfilled his word in sending his son, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And he continues to give that glorious call of the gospel to come to him, to embrace him by faith, and, and to know more than prophets, and to know more than angels, to know Jesus Christ. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we do thank you and praise you for your Son, our Savior, the God-man, Jesus Christ. We thank you that you announced his coming through prophets, through pictures, through sacrifices, through ceremonies, throughout the Old Testament. And yet, Lord God, we thank you for allowing us to live on this side of the cross, to know through your holy inspired word the reality of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. He who, who did suffer, Lord God, when we go through difficulties, through hard times, even as Peter is encouraging the church that it is first suffering and then glory, may we remind ourselves of that, that we are not above our master, that various times of trial may come our way, but they are temporary. They are for the building up of our faith and they lead us to a greater glory through your Son. Lord God, encourage us, strengthen us by your holy word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.